I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Tēnā koutou katoa. This is the first interview on Everyday Māori. I had a good little catch-up with a very good friend of mine, Terina Warren, no Rangitane Matakore, Mengati Fitikaupeka. She will also introduce herself um, on the, in the interview. Uh, Terina and I are both from Taihape. Uh, we both grew up there. And um, However, it wasn't until later on in life that I got to know Terina. Through Te Reo, we both ended up studying at Te Wānaunga or Aotearoa at one point. We both did Te Pinakitanga, ki Te Reo Kairangi, the pilot year that it ran in uh, Palmerston North, 2009, and Heketsu, Leon Blake, was the kayako. And so we crossed paths there, and we've been um, we've been good mates ever since. So it was uh, nice to catch up with her and have a kōrero. So Tarina at the moment lectures at Massey University in Palmerston North, um, lectures ed- in education, in the education sector, uh, in both English and in Māori. Um, she's actively engaged in in her iwi and uh, marae activities uh, and, and also kura kaupapa Māori education. And the focus of our kōrero is about her commitment to bringing up her daughter, uh, Kewa, uh, who's now 22, uh, in Te Reo Māori. Uh, and, and I'll leave it there because um, you're going to find out all about that very soon. Here's our, our interview uh, with Terina Warren. Kia ora, hoa. Nga mahi. Kia ora. Te pē whaana koe? Kei te ora ahai. Kei te pē hea koe. Kei te pai, kei te pai. Uh, what have you been up to lately? Mm. Well, I am currently held up in the sitting room at my daughter's makeshift office, but she has gone back to work and I am still at home. Your beautiful daughter, Kiwa. Well, Kiwa is the kaupapa of our kōrero this morning and your decision to raise your daughter, Iroto Itereo. But first, take me back to your earliest memories of Te Reo Māori. Um, so my earliest memories are actually centred around my grandmother and being at the marae. Kei whiato marae, no whiakoe. Uh, no Ngāti Whitikaupeka, ahau, uh, ko Aurangi Te Maunga, ko Mōwhango Rahi Te Awa, um, ko Mōwhango Te Marae, ko Whitikaupeka Te Whare Tūpuna, uh, no reira ko Ngāti Whitikaupeka Te Iwi, uh, ko Mōkaipātia uh, te rohe pōtai, no reira um, So, my earliest memories are being brought up at home uh, in a little place called Taihape, well, northeast of Taihape, in a settlement called Mōwhango. Um, 
that is what I call my ukaipo, so the place that had the most significance um, to me in terms of contact anyway, uh, where I was always taken as a child. So my earliest memories of te reo would have to be based around the old people, Alko Matua, who were alive um, and still facilitating all of our um, hui, all of our gatherings at our marae. Um, so they were all native speakers and I actually have some very vivid memories of um, witnessing a few queer, quite a few queer having debates or probably arguments. Um, however, I was probably too young to know um, and didn't have a handle on the um, on the language, but I could get from the the energy and the vibe of their conversations that I did not want to enter into uh, the discussion with them. Um, so those would be my earliest memories. Of course, my grandmother, who was quite integral. Uh, in my raising, I spent most weekends with her. Um, I suppose I would describe it like I grew up on her um, on her petticoat. I suppose the saying in Māori is um, e mauana i tana panikuti. Um, so holding on to her petticoat at the marae and she was uh, one of the matriarchs of the marae. So um, I grew up uh, with her speaking, hearing her speak, every now and then she would talk to me um, in Māori, but it was more words and short sentences. So, um, kei te hia kai, do you want food? Kei te pai koe, are you okay? That type of thing. Not full conversations, but I definitely had a broad vocab, um, if, you were, you, if you were to say, say it that way. So things like kai, whare, waka, I had some really good basic words but definitely, definitely did not have the capacity to to speak te reo. When, when was it that you were able to speak te reo? When did you make the commitment to learning te reo yourself? Um, so I was sent to uh, Māori boarding school, St Joseph's Māori Girls College, and at that uh, boarding school it is compulsory to learn te reo. So I would say that by the time I'd finished school, I had um, perfect textbook language, uh, and but I still could not speak um, te reo. So I had a better understanding, but definitely could not, was not in any way fluent in the language however if I had to read something um, or translate it or write something then I could manage that but put me in front of somebody who was speaking and I would freeze up um, and I suppose I went to university and carried on um, learning te reo or taking te reo papers at university and it was Probably just before I went to university, actually, my parents were at a, a Wānangareo. So they were um, still reclaiming our language. And they were at a Wānanga, which I think was out at Tokarangi, um, just out of fielding, out of Marae out there. 
and when I went out to see them um, from Palmerston North, I went out to see them at their wānanga. There were kids playing in the car park of the marae as usual, and one particular child um, came to the window, and I knew that it was a real um, wānanga, so when he popped up at the window, he had said something like, kia ora, ko koe. Um, and I was like, oh, kia ora, ko terina ahau, kei te whai ahau i oku mātua. Um, I'm looking for my parents. And he just stared at me, and he must have been maybe seven or eight at the time. And then I remember turning to my friend who'd come with me and saying to her, oh, maybe he doesn't um, speak te reo Māori. And then the kid replied, I? Kid mohuahau kid kid kōrero Māori, you know. Yes, I know how to speak Māori. So that was kind of my first realization that oh, wow, this is pro- probably one of the first children that I remember meeting who could speak uh, Te Reo Māori, and it was at that stage where I thought this is pretty cool. Like if I ever have children. I want my kids to be able to speak Māori. Um, How old were you then? I was probably 17. Yeah, I was probably 17. So I did my last year of high school here in Palmerston North. And I went to uh, Palmerston North Girls High School. Uh, we were really fortunate at that time that we had some amazing tutors come in to take the kapahaka group. So coming from boarding school, where you live and breathe kapahaka, I uh, had entered into, or I was participating in the kapaka group at Palmy Girls. And at that time we had, through, I'm not entirely sure what relationships they had with the school, but we ended up with Brenda Suta, Milton Dohihi, um, Porta Kataite, um, and Tipiwihi Peihana, who they were, they all came in to tutor uh, our kapaka group. And as a consequence of that, they would often bring their kids. And lo and behold, this little child that I had met in the car park at Tukarangi was one of those children. And so we were surrounded then by, well, not surrounded, there's probably six or seven uh, children who could speak to Reo Māori who often came to our kapahaka practices. And it was then that I really... Um, saw that if I was to have children that that was definitely a pathway that I wanted to pursue and all of those children happened to all attend the same kōhangareo and kūrakaupapa uh, and I, I suppose I have previously described it as seeing those children together talking to each other there was some type of I would say, in a dramatic sense, there was they were seemingly glowing, and I did not know or could not exactly put my finger on what it was, but I definitely knew that whatever that was and whatever they were, um, whatever kind of energetic sense that they were being in the world, I definitely wanted my children to experience whatever they were experiencing. So even at that time, there was the Tereo, but also the people who were engaged, they were just amazing musicians. 
um, taonga puoro and so Māori instruments. Uh, we often performed with, we had Pōtaka who'd play the kōwaiwo and Milton who was playing the guitar and then he'd have a pūrere hua. So we were really exposed to a whole lot of traditional Māori instruments as well and even though I I had come from a Māori boarding school, this was like a whole nother level of what being Māori or what the Māori world encapsulated. So we had Māori instruments, we were singing in te reo, and then we had these little children running around at practices who were, their first language was te reo Māori, and so the whole experience was quite amazing and actually ended up being, I suppose, life-changing. That does sound dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tāhua tērā, that's, that's beautiful. Uh, Fast-forwarding a little bit, Ehoa, how old were you when you had your daughter, when you had Kiwa? So I was 21 when I had uh, when I had my daughter, and I spent the first two years raising her at home in Taihape, and she attended Kōhangareo um, in Taihape, she was at uh, Tiawarua, which was based on Winiata Marae, uh, and for administrative um, reasons that closed, uh, she then went to uh, Fano Childcare Centre, and then I had a baby cousin who was coming down to university, and he were quite competitive. And he would come around home every day after school and I'd help him with his um, maths homework and whatever other homework. But he had said, oh, look, I'm going to university next year. You need to come back and complete your degree. And I think that um, that we should flat together. So that's basically how I managed to leave home as a single parent in Taihape bringing up my child. And I moved back to Palmerston North to university to finish my degree and uh and then I enrolled her at uh I went to enroll her at Kohangareo or Manatamaraki. However, they have quite a long waiting list. So in the meantime, I was fortunate that she was accepted to the university Kohangareo, Teuru Karaka. And so while she was on the waiting list at Manatamaraki she was attending um, the university, Kohangareo. Eventually, um, within a year, she was accepted into Manatamaraki, and so she transitioned over there. And Manatamaraki have a Kohangareo, uh, papa, and then a Farikura, and they're all attached um, to the one organisation or, or facility. I understand that being a part of a community or involved in a community is is very important in this undertaking. Some of those names that you mentioned earlier in the beginning, well, when you were at high school, um, and the people who were quite influential in your in your learning of Te Reo at high school were involved at Manatamariki, in the establishment of Manatamariki. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And so that was another, um, I suppose, advantage that I had, that I already knew some people who were working there, so it wasn't that much um, of a big jump. However, one thing that I did know was that in order to attend Manatamaraki, you have to have, at the time, you have to have at least one 
um, one parent who speaks te reo Māori only to their child and and this is part of their intergenerational uh, transmission theory. So in order to revitalise the language, the quickest and um, most efficient way efficient way yeah is to just only speak that language to that child and of course all backed up it's all backed up by research and stuff so yeah you know children by the time they're eight they can be competent in 12 languages so at manatamariki uh, one of the parents at least one of the parents has to commit to only speaking te reo maori to the child uh, were you yes. able to to do that when you took Kiwa to Manatamariki? Yeah, so when when I had her, I was bilingual. We were bilingual. I made um, my grandmother um, speak Māori to her. Uh, my grandmother, however, passed away when Kiwa was about five months old. And um, so I had kind of encouraged the native speakers around me to only speak Māori to her. But I was bilingual. Um in her first probably year and a half before I moved back to Palmerston North. And when I came and I um, requested that she go to Manatamariki, I then had to make the commitment to only speak te reo Māori to her. So it was at that point that I thought, okay, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And it wasn't, it wasn't an easy thing for me because I was really good at, at, at writing and reading in te reo, but I wasn't so good at speaking te reo Māori. Um, so that was really, um, I suppose, I had a lot of anxiety around that. I just want to return back to the start of your kōrero e hoa, to your kuia and koraua, your kaumātua, who were your earliest memories of te reo Māori. When you went back to them, and you said to them, this is the commitment I'm making to my child. Uh, will you support me and only speak te reo Māori to her? Uh, how did they respond? Were they supportive of that decision and your tono to them? Um, and I'm only asking this because our kaumātua um, grew up in a different time and uh, attitudes were, were quite different um, to te reo Māori. So, so how did they respond to that? They were supportive, however, I got the sense from them that they just thought it was a novelty. Um, and they, so my grandmother, for example, quite often I'd have to say to her, hey, speak Māori. <laughs> because she would, um, she would start off in English, for example, and it would, you know, the odd word here and there, and then I'd have to say to her, hey, speak Māori. Um, and then one of our karaua, uh, when when I'd said to to him um, as a native speaker, he was the same. Like he'd often speak in English, and then I'd say to him, "Hey, can you speak Māori to her?" He would then switch. But I did notice with that particular karaua, if I left the room, he spoke Māori only to her. When I was in the room, he would switch in and out, or or be more bilingual and. Um, and pigeons so then I kind of learned that okay when I'm around him I probably need to leave him with the child and and just hang hang outside the room 
a little bit more. But they they were supportive, but I suppose in in to some extent they thought that it was just a novelty. Um, however, there was one karawa and he was um, he was particularly influential in the in the Kohangareo movement in Taihape, um, Koro Jack, and, and he would just stay stay in te reo, um with her. And I suppose that's a difference of having um, early childhood, for example, teaching as your day job, so to speak, versus grandparents who who um, aren't used to kind of having to be in those environments. Definitely the um, the old people were more comfortable speaking into the old to their peers. And so that's why I think that maybe it was a little bit novel to be speaking to this um, to this little child. In those early years, in the home, what were some of the highlights and lowlights in committing to to only speak Te Reo Māori to your to your child? Oh, definitely one of the. I suppose it's a low light and a highlight was vocab. I had to upskill myself on vocab um, I often carried this was before you know the whole advent of cell phones so I had to carry like a little book around that I would write new words in um, and even at home like toaster or jug like I would be constantly looking up words um, my parents were quite good because... And how old is Kiwa now, just to give some context? Now she's 22. So we're talking 20 years ago. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so 20 years ago and right, still doing things like writing things on a on a piece of paper, on a post-it. Writing out the Māori names of things and putting them up on places. Carrying a little notebook around with all my kupuhu or my new words in it to learn but one of the major um i suppose helps pathways for assistance i suppose for me was because i wasn't really confident in speaking and i had to learn all this vocab i would often go with her to kohanga and i would just sit in the corner and listen this is before we had podcasts, people. <laughs> so, you know, this is a real-time podcast. So I would take her, um, when, I was at mes- when I was at university, I would take her to the university kōhangareo and I would just sit in the corner and just listen. Just listen. Listen to all the children speaking to each other, the kayako, the teachers speaking to the children, and I would just note down any phrases that they might be using so that I could maybe use them at home. Um, so it would be things like, I can't really think of anything, but if I heard them say something like um, something new, or even just my base phrases like here, Numo, oh, do you want a drink? Okay, that's how I phrase that. And so I would just learn from listening and write down all that kind of stuff. And then I would go home and try to use everything that I had learned and just really put it um, into, into practice. And then, so I went from the university 
kohanga reo, and then when we went to Manatamariki, and just everybody is, it would often take me, when I, whenever I entered, it would often take me a minute or two to reorientate myself because everybody's speaking te reo Māori. So te reo Māori is just literally flying around the room and I would have a little bit of whiplash, so to speak. Um, but in that discomfort, you know, if I was going to truly commit to te reo, then I had to accept that there was going to be some discomfort and a lot of learning on my behalf. And again, I would just go sit in the corner and literally pray to the gods, please don't let them talk to me. Please don't let them talk to me. Please don't let them talk <laughs> yeah. to me. I, I know that feeling. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm looking in the faces of like three-year-olds, like, please don't talk to me. Please don't talk to me. Um, but the beauty in it is that they're young children. And so even if my language was a little bit mixed up, they got it. Because I liken it now, I can liken it to if a, um, if we are talking to like an Italian person whose first language is Italian, their English isn't perfect and it's not grammatically correct when they speak English to us, but we get the gist, right? Yeah, or, we understand. Yeah, we understand what they're, what they're saying. And we're able to communicate. Absolutely. And so I was very thankful that in my semi-gibberish Māori, these three-year-olds completely could get whatever I was trying to say, even though I was saying in, in my head, please don't talk to me, please don't talk to me. <laughs> but I, I put myself in that position and I just took advantage of what the kōhanga had to offer. So I would just go and sit and maybe help whenever, you know, whenever I could. And for most part, I would say that I was silent because I was really retraining my brain back to um, to a state, I suppose, of fluency in that language. Because I was still in the state of, I want to say something in te reo Māori. Okay, what do I want to say? Think of the English sentence, translate it into te reo Māori, speak it, say it out loud. Uh-oh, they've responded to me in te reo Māori. Right, take that te reo Māori phrase in, translate it back into English. Oh, right, that's what they're saying. So, And this is all happening simultaneously. All happening simultaneously while I'm praying, please don't talk to me, please don't talk to me. But you know what? After a few days, a few weeks, a few months, all of this just become more and more natural and I found that I didn't have to do that whole translate in my head process as much anymore. So as uncomfortable as I was, I just kind of sat quietly in the corner and then helped out when I could. And I guess it was they were retraining my ear and my mind to be able to switch from a textbook reading writing mode of understanding te reo Māori and then switching into a speaking um, mode much more easily. So I've that was definitely a highlight, I think. If I had jumped into any other level, I might have just, you know, the discomfort would have been, peak. I would have been peaking. Um, 
but the but the kohanga reo and the people that worked there were so nurturing and understanding as well of the history and and the and the process of loss and then the process of revitalizing the language they were so understanding of that whole thing and also i suppose fully based in the philosophy of Te Whāriki, which is an early childhood document, and Te Ahumatua, which is an educational philosophy for Kurukaupapa, that they were very loving. As you know, I just so felt the aroha Aye. in terms of um, collectively where we were heading to. So I didn't at any time felt I didn't at any time feel threatened or put down. Um, it was all mainly in my own head and having to come to terms with okay I, I can I can do this and it's achievable because look at all these other whānau who have already done this process with me so that was another one of the other major highlights was engaging with all of these other whānau who were on the exact same journey um, as I was. So we did a course together back in 2009 in Palmerston North and that year that we did it with uh, Heketu, with Leon Blake, was the pilot year that it ran. So you knew you needed to continue to upskill, you needed to continue your own learning of te reo Māori. Um, it's not like there was an end goal or a finish line that you crossed <laughs> over and, okay, tick, done that, moving on to the next thing. Uh, what kept you going? What I found was that as my child was growing, my language was growing too. And as we were growing together on this language journey, she would ask the most amazing questions. And I am, by nature, um, quite, I suppose, founded in, in things like science, maths. So answering questions, I feel like that is my... Um, I have to be able to answer questions but as she was growing her questions were just some of them were just out of this world and I just remember thinking oh my gosh oh my gosh how am I going to answer that how am I going to answer that she is her mother's child yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you know because the other thing is that I have a degree in mathematics so problem solving is supposed to be one of my fortes so as she was asking more questions, I definitely knew the answer in English, but how could I explain them to her in te reo Māori, firstly, and secondly, from a Māori perspective? So, for example, if we were talking about birds, um, then my relation, my answer couldn't just be about the technical ability of birds to fly, for example, I had to then incorporate a Māori world lens into, okay, so why? Why do they have the ability to fly? What did Tāne, what did the god of the forest, gift to them in order to make them fly? So I was challenged on another level. So I had the, the mainstream answer prepared, but then I was kind of pushed to be like, well, actually, from a Māori perspective, how was this all interlinked to be able to deliver it back to her? And I suppose that was something that I took on 
um, myself and in acknowledging that, you know, the process of colonisation is not something that has just stopped um, in, after the land wars, for example. The process of colonisation happens every day and, and for me it was about, okay, I know this from a mainstream, from a Western perspective, from a Pākehā point of view, but actually, do I really know it from a Māori point of view? Because, you know, we've lost, along with the language, we've lost our histories, our traditions, our sciences, which is, you know, why it's so amazing now that we have the whole Mataka, um movement kind of happening around people reclaiming that type of knowledge. There's a whole you know, waka knowledge. Different bodies of knowledge. Yeah, there's all these bodies of knowledge. And what I definitely knew at that point as my child was growing, okay, so I can explain this and I need a little bit more vocab in Te Reo Māori, but oh my gosh, I do not know anything about that entire body of knowledge. And so I found quite often, luckily for me, this is another highlight, um, I would like remember a couple of lines from a mōtiatia that I had heard them singing at Kura, and so I just, you know, my response was, "Oh, well, what's the what's the story in that mōtiatia?" And I'd, you know, say a couple of lines, and then I'd be able to use whatever information she gave back to me from the mōtiatia to then, you know, add to my story in explaining um, different you know, different phenomena or, or different things in the world. So I suppose, yeah, the, the learning never stops. And when coming back to um, the course that we um, did, Tipinakitanga, I was at the point where I think she might have been going into Farikura, so leaving uh, primary immersion education, moving into secondary school education. And I just realised that, it's not going to be long before her understanding of te reo is going to exceed my understanding of te reo. And But going back again to that kind of scientific base ground, if I wanted to be able to help her with her science homework or her maths homework, I better upskill my language ability in order to do that properly. <laughs> So that was a real that was a real driver for me of the circumstance that I found myself in. A child, I myself am a second language learner, teaching of um, bringing up a first. A native uh, speaker, I suppose you could say. Yeah, yeah, and um, and then and having an angst over being able to help my child with her homework at home, um, that's like a personal thing. Uh, and so I felt like, yep, okay, if I need to, she is going to, you know, pass my language ability soon, I should at least be able to help her with her homework um, at secondary school. So that's what prompted me um, into there. However, I do remember we had some... Um, Hawaiians come to to Manatamariki at one part and we had a language discussion with them and I had mentioned that that was my particular path that I needed I felt like I needed to upskill myself um, 
to which, you know, and I'm so, so thankful for, one of the the uh, kayako matua or, or the leaders at, at Kura had identified that, well, actually, whatever language you have, whatever language you possess, if you are speaking that language, then it doesn't matter how broadly your knowledge base is. The key thing is that you are transmitting the little language that you know, you are transmitting that to children, to your own children or to other children. So the focus then just really brought it back to actually, it doesn't matter what level of te reo you're at, the fact that you are passing that whatever you little language you have, the fact that you are passing that on, that in itself is a win. Kia ora, kia ora. That in itself is a goal. Like it doesn't matter how flash it is, it doesn't matter um, how much it is, but if you only have a little bit, but that's all that you are passing on, then at least you've made a huge contribution because that contribution wouldn't have been made otherwise if you had chosen to not pass it on. So that then become um, a really big learning for me in terms of actually, you know what, I can have all the knowledge, but does that mean that I'm passing it on? It would be better to pass on what little knowledge I have than to have a whole heap of knowledge and not be able to pass it on to anybody. Was there ever a time when, and I hear this from, from friends who have, have brought their tamariki up in te reo, sometimes they, they reach a point um, where they start to reject the idea of speaking te reo and, and want to uh, instead speak English. Did this happen with, with Kiwa? Yes, yep, that absolutely did happen. And um, Kiwa was fortunate, I suppose, to, for one of her te reo Māori teachers to be Hinurewa Pautu, and Hinurewa actually wrote her PhD. Hinurewa on, is amazing, by the way. On yeah, <laughs> yes, she is. Um, Hinurewa wrote her PhD on that phenomenon, um, on that very topic. So, um, so I would advise you know anybody maybe to to check out that you can get it free online. Um, but also I feel like there was one critical thing, um, well two critical things I suppose. Firstly, uh, mana tamariki, their motto, I suppose, um, is kia kaha te kōrero Māori. Kia ora. So that then just really enforced. So anytime somebody speaks English um, at kura, the response is always kia kaha te kōrero Māori. So, you know, just reaffirming the idea that, you know, well, be be steadfast in your pursuit of 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 te reo Māori, of speaking te reo Māori. Um, so that is was definitely one um, thing that, that helped because it's a clear reminder, but also that you just have a whole system around you of, of speakers. But the one of the critical things that I found was that, um, I can't even remember when it was, I'm trying to count on my head, maybe five years ago now, um, at Manatamariki, they have a policy of every kura intake, so every secondary school intake goes overseas, goes for, gets taken overseas for, for a school trip. 
Um, every time they go, there's always a wānanga with the parents. Where do you think we should go to? Where should the children be taken to? And um, my thoughts with Kiwa, and I was basing this on previous discussions that I had been involved in, was that firstly, if you go to, let's take them to Europe. One, it's one of the furthest, m most... Um, distant lands that we could possibly take them to there's probably a really good chance that the children in their adult life won't necessarily go that far um, in their adult life so let's take them there secondly those countries in Europe they do not speak English so Italy um, France Spain they don't speak English um, and let's show them a an entire world that functions without the English language because that I think is a something that hangs um, in the psyche you know oh in order for my child to be successful they have to be able to speak English well that's not what Italians think that's not what Chinese think that's not what the people in Spain think um, granted they're like multilingual but that you know, that's it's not in their psyche that speaking English is what makes you successful or whatever. But I think definitely for our tamariki here in Aotearoa, that is definitely one message that is given to them all the time in social media and and on TV and wherever else. But um, when we so so obviously we come through this whole system. Every now and then they speak English. The response is kyaka te Māori. What happened is that within our first week of being in Italy, every child stopped speaking English. And I was really amazed. Like, there was no parent saying kyaka te Māori, kyaka te Māori, because we were in another country that actually didn't speak English. Aye, <laughs> And so... What I saw from that, what I my takeaway point from that was that, oh, when they are immersed in a situation where English is not the pinnacle, then it stops being a point. And so I feel like then we, so we spent three weeks in, in Europe and then I, I felt like when we came home, it was less of a challenge because they realised, oh, right. Um, English is not as important as I thought it was because if I go and live in Rome it is more important to be able to speak Italian than it is to be able to speak English so I think that so um, I mean I'm not a psychologist but I'm pretty sure that something happened in their psyche that made them stop speaking English um, you know but I, I suppose it's a really amazing um, instance when you walk into a sushi shop in um, in in Barcelona to get sushi, they don't speak English, you don't speak Spanish, and so here we are all speaking Māori to each other, and here they are all speaking Japanese to each other in a country that does not rate English. Um, and so, you know, it was those kind of experiences, I think, that really solidified for our students, oh, English is not the be-all and end-all. 
in my own personal experiences traveling overseas i find i i i'll often find an, a newfound appreciation um about the things that i might take for granted and it might be living in this beautiful country that that we that we call home but it also might be elements of my culture and language and who I am as a person because people are quite often interested. It's a point of difference overseas. Oh, what language are you speaking? Oh, oh Māori, who are they? Where, where are you from? Uh, which we don't often get here. Uh, I also, I remember being in Madrid and um, and I went into a chemist and I asked, I was looking for sunscreen, but at the time I couldn't speak a word of Spanish. And the lady wasn't having a bar of it. She didn't help me at all. I probably would have had a bit had better luck if I'd spoken in Maori. Oh, do you know what? I had that same experience in Barcelona trying to get a stamp. I was trying to get a stamp to put it on my postcard to send home, and I think I I um I I think I started with hablé inglés. Like every time I go to a new country, I learn the Do you speak English? Where's the toilet? Like, you know, there's some real... Immediately rolling their eyes at you. No, she didn't even wait. She didn't even roll her eyes. She, like, thinged her hand at me, like, get out of my shop. <laughs> <laughs> like, tried to wave me out. And, of course, if I was any other person, I might be absolutely offended. But, of course, being Māori, I was like, oh, yeah, all right, yeah, you're not going to speak English. So I got my little book out. Instead, you're giving her a high five. Yeah, way to go. And I like got my little book out and I tried to speak, ask her for a stamp. Um, but the, I think, is it Lonely Planet? But the book that I had, it turns out that the word in there for stamp was not the word that I should have been using. So, oh, okay. but you know, but very excited to find myself in that situation. Like normally any normal person would be completely deflated and maybe walk out, but I was like excited. <laughs> oh, that's a hard case. Um, no reire hoa, what's happening at the moment? Um, what's happening in your life and what's happening in Kiwa's life at the moment? So um, Kiwa completed her... Um, degree at Waikato um, and then she came to Massey and did a one-year teacher training program in Te Reo Māori, uh, immersed in Te Reo Māori. Uh, so she completed that last year. She actually had the online graduation last week, might have been the week before, um, for, for that. So she is now a qualified teacher and she has been offered a job um, teaching Te Reo back at her Farikura, so back at Manatamariki, so wow. that's where she is. Yeah, so that's where she is at the moment. And um, last year we received, um, she had previously done some um, pulling together of literature and stuff, so last year her and I wrote an article together in Te Reo Māori um, for the My Journal, and it was talking about how there weren't really that many te reo Māori resources or literature sources for university students. So that's kind of what we wrote on, um, and we we co-wrote um, that article. However, um, this is like one of the peak moments for me as a parent, and also the most one of the most devastating points for me as a parent was um, 
that when she edited <laughs> uh, a section of the article that I had written in Te Reo Māori, it was filled with crisscrosses. So obviously my initial thoughts when I saw it was like, oh, oh no, um, that's really bad of me. Look at how bad my, my reo is, my written deal is that she's had to do all that correcting, like literally half a page scribbled out like no not needed no this is too much no not quite the thing you know like her her editing of my reel so I was completely disheartened by it and then at the same token was like oh yeah shouldn't this be every parent's Every parent's dream. That proud be. moment. Yeah. <laughs> so was was I was very proud and then very distraught all all at the same time. Oh well, I know you're very proud of it. <laughs> I think there's so much in your corridor that people out there who are committing to do what you have done can take away. But what are your final uh, tips or corridor to those parents who are bringing up their tamariki i roto i te reo Māori? Um, yeah, well, just kia kaha and, you know, kia kaha te kōrero Māori. That's, you know, the base of it is just as long as you can do that, that transmission that you are giving them, um, and I mean there's an ad on TV, right, you are giving them the doorway to the Māori world. So, you know, kia kaha te kōrero Māori, write your notes down, you don't have to take a notepad around anymore, you can write it on your phone, um, Gate crash all of the hui Māori, you know, real Māori that you can, even if it's just at kōhanga, even if it's at um, school, kura, even if it's at the touch field or wherever, you know, just put yourself in those things. So even though you might be praying, please don't talk to me, your ear is becoming attuned to hearing the talking um, going on and just absolutely know that um, if there's any doubt you know, and they absolutely know that your that your tūpuna, that your ancestors are applauding every little word that you speak. And I applaud you, Ehoa. Oh, yeah, Kanoi te mihi kia koe e hoa hoki, anak kia koutou e whakarungoana, tēnā koutou, kia kaha te kōrero Māori.